and welcome to the latest episode of the Own It podcast. I'm Iona Bain, founder of the Young Money blog and author of Own It. I'm joined on this podcast by my dad, Simon Bain, who was an award-winning personal finance and business journalist until he retired in 2016. Today, he works with me, and we thought we'd get together on this podcast to look at the world of finance from two different generational perspectives. And we're also asking some brilliant guests to join us, from founders and CEOs to personal finance campaigners. I took some time off this month after a really hectic period in the early part of 2021, so that's why this podcast is coming to you a little later than usual. Normal service will now resume, don't worry. So what kind of stuff was I working on just before I took my break? Well, I wrote a huge cover feature for the FT money section, which you can now read online. I'll link to it in the show notes. And I've also been preparing for a pretty big campaign on young people and investing, which I'm doing with the Building Society nationwide. That will launch a few days after this podcast goes live. So keep a lookout. And Simon has been keeping well. He's had his first jab, so he's very happy and he's helping me out in my agency, which I am very grateful for. Now, today's episode is all about saving. I am a massive savings fangirl, but I'm rather dismayed at what's happened to saving over the years. Ever since the base rate was slashed to 0.5% in 2008, it's felt like persuading young people to save some money rather than spend it all has been a real uphill struggle. And lately that task has been made even more difficult with the base rate falling to 0.1% during the pandemic and there are lots of rumours swirling around now that the base rate could even go negative. That basically means crap interest rates always round and no reward for doing the right thing. No wonder so many young people are shunning savings accounts and choosing to invest all their spare cash instead, even if that's not always the right thing to do. And even when it is, young people aren't always managing investing all that well. That's a subject that we're covering an awful lot on this podcast. Look no further than the previous episode and my interview with Myron Jobson. But today we're going to be talking about why saving is the right thing to do to protect yourself against big financial shocks and meet your short-term needs. So as we get into a new tax year and perhaps want to give our finances a bit of a post-lockdown spring clean, I'm asking, how can we save our savings? Well, later on, Simon and I chat about green bonds, a new product that was announced in this year's budget. We'll look at whether they really are a savings account, whether they'll pay a decent rate, and if there could be better alternatives for our money. But before that, I found the ideal guest to join us for this saving special. Anna Bowes is the founder of Savings Champion, the go-to website for UK savers. Now, Savings Champion researches the whole savings market and keeps users updated on a regular basis as to where they can find the best deals. So it's a really invaluable resource for people desperately trying to earn a decent return on their savings. Anna herself is probably the most knowledgeable person in the UK about savings. There is nothing she doesn't know about this subject. So I really can't think of a better person to bring us up to date with what's happening in the world of savings and how we can stash that cash more effectively. Here's my interview with Anna Bowes. Anna, welcome to the Own It podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and your work at Savings Champion and what you're trying to do for savers. Sure. Uh, so my name is Anna Bose and I'm the co-founder of Savings Champion. 
quite simply, we set this business up about 10 years ago. It's actually our 10th anniversary this year. And our purpose really was to provide uncompromised, unbiased, whole of market, best buy savings accounts for people to look at. So all we do is look at savings accounts, UK savings accounts, and we're experts in that area. So we have a website that has best buy tables, we have news, we have a newsletter and things like that. And we monitor all the UK savings rates in the country. So it's fair to say that you are the savings guru. <laughs> well, I, I like to think that I know a thing or two about savings rates, having really been engrossed by them over the last over the last 10 or 20 years in fact so yeah it's been it's been a passion so you can give us a pretty good idea of what's happened to savings over the past 10 years because it's not been a pretty picture has it it really hasn't been a pretty picture um it when when we launched we thought that uh, rates of sort of over three percent as they were at that, that time for an easy access account were still pretty poor so you can imagine how we feel now when things are as low as as half a percent for for an easy access account and yeah it's been a, it's been a very tumultuous time for savers because what happened was there was something called the funding for lending scheme was introduced a number of years ago and that gave the banks and building societies a really cheap way to fund their lending book so their mortgage book for example and their, and their and their lending to small businesses so they didn't need to get that money from savers anymore and that meant that overnight savings rates started to fall even though back then the base rate was at half a percent and it had remained at that level for many many years yet savings rates just started to fall and fall and fall and then obviously we've had uh, other other incidents happen over over the last few years so we had the EU referendum that saw a base rate cut we then saw some improvements uh, from from the base rate but not all savings providers put back their rates to the level they were beforehand so again savers were the ones to suffer and then finally, we obviously saw last um, March two base rate cuts. So the base rate is currently sitting at the lowest level it has ever been at, 0.1%. Do you think that there's any chance that the base rate will rise again in the future? Or are we now in an environment of permanently low interest rates? Well, it's very difficult to say whether it's a permanent situation, but certainly it's going to be very difficult for the base rate to, to go up. At the moment, with the level of debt that this country is in, uh, if you put the base rate up, that can create a much bigger problem. Um, so I do feel that interest rates are going to stay low for some time. But that doesn't mean that people can't improve their own situation um, because, you know, many, many people are sitting in accounts actually that pay zero interest. Over £225 billion at the moment are sitting on what are known as non-interest bearing accounts. So that's probably your current account. Lots of people will leave some money sitting in their current account because over the pandemic, many people have actually been able to save more money they haven't been commuting they haven't been buying all those lunches and spending all that money in town and therefore they have ha actually had this excess money to save but it's sitting in accounts paying zero or it's sitting in your bank accounts so-called savings account so they think people think they're doing the right thing and they are and they'd be forgiven for thinking that but they're earning 0.01 percent which is just absolutely rock rock bottom rates yeah and in real terms they're probably losing money because with that kind of interest rate, inflation is bound to just erode the value of their savings over time. 
Absolutely. That's a really good point, because even though inflation at the moment is still pretty low, uh, it, it, it's still much, much uh, higher than that rate of 0.01%. So actually, not only are you not actually getting any money in your pocket, you're also you are, you know, you're reducing the purchasing power of that money going forward. So your £10,000, for example, what it can buy today it's not going to be able to buy as much in 10 years' time if prices keep rising. And there is a fear that inflation is going to be something that starts to rise, even if interest rates don't. You spoke before about that situation where people are keeping money in their current account. But we've also seen people forget about money in old savings accounts um, where the interest rate has been slashed. And there has been some discussion about whether or not we could improve the situation for those savers and um, you know not have this penalty for forgetting about your savings anymore but do you think that that's realistic will we ever get to a point where there will be a minimum interest rate for all savers regardless of how active or lazy they are I think that's a really tough one and and uh, personally I don't see how you can do that without without um, it's a competitive market at the end of the day and the banks are free to pay the rates of interest that, that, that they want to. And it's all linked to what they're paying on their mortgage rates and it's not just about savings. So I can't see how it could be enforced. But I, I know and I know there have been a number of different discussions around whether or not um, after 12 months in a savings accounts, the banks would need to uh, make sure that there was a sharp drop down to a very low rate. Interestingly, this is a complete turnaround from from what what people, what we were all told a while ago was that bonus rates, so these these uh, inflated rates for a short period of time were dreadful things. But actually, what has what has subsequently happened is that people have found that if there is a sharp drop in a rate more savers are likely to switch at that point rather than if it's a sort of death by a thousand rate cuts for example where it goes down very very gradually and you hardly really notice it um, then you're much more likely to sort of sit on in that account for many many years but what's really interesting what's something I've noticed over certainly over this year uh, I've been paying more attention to it is that certainly um, accounts that you may have opened a year ago they're paying much, much more on a number of occasions, much, much more than the, the current accounts that are available, not current accounts, but the savings accounts that are available to be open today. I was just looking at an example um, of, a, of an ISA that if you'd opened it a year ago, it was only on the market for a week. So you, you would have to have been quite lucky to get it. But that rate is still 1.2% on an easy access ISA compared to today where you can only get 0.6% on an easy access ISA. So it's it's really a combination. Some very, very old accounts and your high street provider account are going to be paying you some very low rates of interest. And you can therefore do much better if you shop around. But it, you can't just take that for granted because actually there may be some rates that are, there are some accounts that are maybe uh, a, a year or so old that are paying much more than you could get today. So it's something that's you need to take care when you're deciding what to do with either opening a new savings account or reviewing what you already hold. Mm. And do you think that challenger banks have helped provide more competition in the savings space in recent years? Enormously. Without them, 
they we, we would be in a far worse position, believe it or not, because the challenger banks, so-called challenger banks, these new banks that have come to the market to challenge the high street providers, they needed to raise money. They still need to raise money. They need to get their brand better known and they need to raise money. And they need to, uh, and, and the way that they can do that is to pay a better interest rate, which will um, encourage people to put their savings with them. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with going with a provider you've not heard of, but you do need to just check the credentials, make sure they are a, 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 a viable bank and that they're covered under the financial services compensation scheme and all those things that that these new banks are as well as the 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 barclays and the santanders of the world who are paying dreadful rates you can get some some far better rates than from these these challenger banks but they have definitely uh, created a bit more of the competition and kept some rates a bit higher than 0.01 percent so it's well worth looking at those uh, little known banks so long as they are viable as you say because they may provide more competitive deals but also in recent times uh, people looking for a better rate on their money have, have often found current accounts are a good shout um, is that changing now that has changed uh, you're absolutely right and what we saw was um, when ra- as rates started to fall I, uh, earlier on I alluded to the three percent rates that we used to see over three percent and Santa Dare had a, a one two three account that its current account that you had to pay a fee to open to have that account but it was paying a rate of around three percent back then which so it didn't really feature anywhere because there were better savings rates and a current account is a bit more complicated you need to have direct debits you need to set it up as your current account um, and you need to there's certain things that you terms and conditions that you need to comply with and if there is a fee you also have to make sure that the value you're getting your value if you're paying a fee but there was a bit of a, a period of time where there were a number of those high street providers the only the only way, place you would ever see them on our best buy tables would be in that current account market and that was quite interesting because they get all of this information about you as a saver because you're having to put all that data in how much you earn what so you know what's your income what you know where do you live all of these area, all these aspects of your personal situation those banks are gaining by getting you to open a current account with them but they were paying higher rates on a limited amount of money they've sort of dropped away now there's not very many available that are paying decent rates compared to what 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 the rest of the market is certainly and and it's on a very low amount so maybe a thousand pounds or fifteen hundred pounds for a period of time so it's worth still maybe looking at it um but just not as much choice as there was. They've all been affected as well. So where do people need to look? Are regular saver accounts the best bet now for people? Are there other options that they should be aware of? Well, it does depend on your situation. It depends on your circumstances. Regular savings accounts are really interesting and I like them for a couple of reasons. One, we need to make, as a nation, I think we need to get back into the savings habit because a lot of people don't have any savings and that will be because they can't afford to save. And that, that's absolutely understandable. But there are other people who just just don't get around to it. What's the point in saving? The interest rates are so poor. But actually, if you put money aside each month, that's going to make a big difference over a period of time. So regular savings accounts tend to pay some of the best rates on the market because, you, um, because you're putting a small amount away each month. And if you set up a direct debit just after you're paid, it sort of becomes like another bill. 
So you get used to it coming out of your bank account just after you're paid, but it's one that you're actually going to benefit from because at some point you can get hold of that money and there's some interest being earned on the top of it. So that's quite a good uh, a good way of getting into the savings habit and building up if you don't have a lump sum. If you have got a lump sum and you need to keep that money available, then really it's looking at looking at best buy tables like those on our website so you're keeping an eye on the best rates that are available obviously having checked whether you've got an account an older account that's paying just check see whether you've got a nugget in there that you could add to because that's something just don't forget about um and and other than that you you know it depends if you're there's a really great product out there for first-time buyers or those people who are happy to um hold on to their money until they're 60 called the lifetime isa so it's part of the isa family which is very confusing but it is part of the isa family and if you're 18 to 39 you're allowed to open one of these so i'm too old unfortunately i missed out on it which is a great shame but they, the, the key of that account is that you put in up to £4,000 a year you can put in. And it, let's say you put the maximum in, the government will then add a 25% bonus to each deposit you make. So if you put a £4,000 in, government will add £1,000 and you've instantly got £5,000. So that is a really, really great product. But there are lots and lots of terms and conditions to watch out for. And if you withdraw the money for anything other than buying your first home, or leaving it until you're 60, there is a penalty that is currently effectively you get you, they take the bonus back. But from the 6th of April, that's going to be going back up to what it was previously, which in effect penalises you and you won't get back quite as much as you put in. So just just that that's a brilliant account for people, but it is quite restrictive on on the uh, on, on, on your access to the money. Yeah, we're we're big fans of the Lifetime ISA here on the Own It podcast, but we do also think that that penalty ought to be removed. And that's something that we've, we've talked about before. We feel very strongly about it. Um, talking about ISAs, um, do you think that ISAs aren't what they used to be because we've got the personal savings allowance and people are, are paying much less tax on the interest that they earn on their savings anyway, if they're earning that much interest Therefore, you know, are ISAs really a bit of a red herring today? Do, do we need them as much as we used to need them? I think that's a really good question. Um, so when the personal savings allowance was introduced in 2016, the government announced at that point that 95% of savers would no longer pay tax on their savings. And that's because the personal savings allowance um, provides you with £1,000 of interest tax-free if you're a basic rate taxpayer and £500. The first £500 of interest you earn is tax-free if you're a higher rate taxpayer. So if you're an additional rate taxpayer, you definitely need an ISA. If you are potentially going to fall into at some point the higher rate tax bracket then your personal savings allowance will halve and suddenly you could be paying interest on that money for younger people if you were to save regularly you couldn't you, you thought you could soon build up quite a significant amount and if you've got a significant amount of savings building up and if we see an increase in interest rates at some point in the future you, if you have ignored your ISA allowance, you may find that you're paying on tax unnecessarily in the future. So the difficult thing is not only about the amount of tax you might save today, and because ISA rates are often slightly lower or even quite lower, um, quite a lot lower than, than the non-ISA accounts, most many people will be better off by, not, by taking a normal savings account out, not an ISA. 
but it's a matter of looking forward as well. So is are your circumstances going to change so that you do become a higher rate taxpayer or you start paying tax on your savings in the future? Will the personal savings allowance actually be withdrawn at some point? You know, if that happens, then suddenly all of your all of your money outside the ISA is is going to be liable to tax if you're a taxpayer. Yeah, and this is it. Savers are always having to think ahead and and wonder or worry about what changes might come down the track and prepare for those changes, which doesn't make financial planning easy, does it? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Um, I suppose one way to look at it is that until you are approaching having £20,000 in in savings, if you can earn more outside an ISA at the moment, then that's the route to take. The key is that, you know, if the personal savings allowance was uh, removed or if you or your circumstances change in some way or interest rates rise, goodness knows, uh, and, and on £20,000 suddenly you were going to be paying tax, which is unlikely, you can flip that very quickly into, the, into an ISA wrapper, job done. But if you had, say, £100,000, that's going to take you five years to move all that money into a tax, tax-free savings account. So it, it, does, it does depend on your circumstances. And it, as I say, less than 20,000 for the time being, just get the best rate you can, whether that be in an ISA or not. And there are some ISAs, the easy access ISAs, you know, the ISA is actually, pay, the, the best easy access ISA is actually paying a bit more than the best non-ISA at the moment. So that makes sense that you might as well put it in tax-free account, job done. You can always move it out if you want to. Uh, but but other times, if you if you're locking it up into a fixed term account, then generally the rates are going to be lower on an ISA than they are on a non on a non ISA fixed rate bond. So you might want to think about going taking that route down. So it, it is a bit complicated. Unfortunately, it's not an easy it's not an easy question to answer. Should I bother or not? Sometimes you should. <laughs> this is it. It's, it's, it's always complicated and that's why we've got people like you here to explain how it works. So that's that, But that's very helpful to, to think of it in terms of if you've got less than 20,000, maybe keep your options open. But over that amount, then yeah, the ISA could really come into its own. Um, and talking about uh, national savings and investments, um, NSNI, um, it's had a pretty rough year, I think it's fair to say. Could you explain for people listening and watching who don't know what's been going on with NSNI in recent times, what the problem has been um, and whether or not we can turn to NSNI as the government backed savings provider to get good rates on our savings? You know, are those days over? For now, certainly. So what, what happened with NSNI is um, last year there were supposed to be some rate cuts coming on some of its accounts but they cancelled those rate cuts saying they wanted to support savers through the through the pandemic so the rate cuts on some of their popular accounts um that remain the same and as other accounts dropped down by the wayside nsni suddenly found itself at the top of the best buy tables and the reason nsni is so loved and so useful especially when it's paying a decent rate of interest, is that with the financial services compensation scheme, which is what uh, all other banks and building societies have as a protection for their customers, it's up to £85,000 per provider that is secure, that's safe under the financial services compensation scheme, should that bank go bust. With NSNI, it's as much as you have in that with that provider because it's backed by HM Treasury. So you can put a million pounds into their their income bonds account, which is actually an easy access account that pays a monthly interest out. 
And if anything, you know, and that money is safe because it's backed by the Treasury, unless you think something's going to happen to the UK. So uh, that's why it's so loved. But suddenly <clears throat> the bank found itself, I think, I, I believe that in the first, from, from I think it was from April to September time, they took on board, they took in around about £38 billion pounds of money. That's how much money people poured into NSNI. And obviously NSNI was struggling with, with dealing with that, that amount. Um, of of money and it's it it has something called a net financing target which is the amount of money that it, the government wants NSNI to raise for it each year and that was raised from 6 billion so the government previously had wanted NSNI to raise 6 billion but that was increased to 35 billion but they overshot that target massively so then in September, we were, it was announced that they were going to be cutting their rates. But they don't didn't just say they were going. They didn't just cut the rates, Iona. They slashed the rates. They cut them from being the very best rates on the market to the very worst. I was talking about the high street banks paying 0.1%. And on a few of the NSNI accounts now, they are also paying 0.01%, 0.01%. And in fact, if you hold, I think it's less than £650 or, or thereabouts with the in, in the income bonds, you will now no longer receive anything because it's lower than the minimum amount they can pay out. So it, it's really gone for people who were enjoying an income from that. They are now not receiving anything at all, pretty much. Um, so a lot of people then tried to get their money out. And a lot of them did because NS and I saw a huge, huge exodus of money. Some of the, the, the most amount that they've ever seen pouring out the door in, in one month at the, towards the tail end of last year. But people have had huge problems with it because their administration services just spectacularly folded, really. They, they just couldn't, they couldn't deal with the number of people trying to ring. They couldn't deal with the, with the money coming out. And it was, there was quite a lot of delays um, with that. So not only did the rates cut, cut quite significantly, people were having a lot of problems being able to get in touch to find out whether their money was being returned to them. As far as I'm aware, the money is being returned. That's I, I don't I haven't heard. I've I've dealt with a lot of people who have struggled to get through, but they have had their money back finally. So um, I think that that's not you're not going to lose money in that situation, but you might want to try taking it away and moving on. Now in the budget, there was talk about a green bond, so a bond that's going to be announced in the summer. We don't know what that's going to be. We don't know how much it's going to be paying. I shouldn't imagine it will be a real market leading rate because um, because of what's happened. You know, what, what's the point in having had all the money in, lose all the money going out the door uh, only to, to do this again? Although the money raised for this is going towards various government projects on, on helping uh, on the green economy. So trying to, to, to make us less fossil fuel reliant. Um, so from that respect, I think people will be quite pop. It will be quite popular. And if it pays an interest rate to boot, well, that's good. Hmm. So that could partly revive the reputation of NSNI and um... well, there's still there's still enormous amount in there. Of course, there are still premium bonds as well, which people really really love because it's not a normal savings account; it's a prize draw account, and we all love premium bonds. That's right. I've got <laughs> I've got quite a soft spot for premium bonds. I must say. I mean, I have it really as my easy access savings account, and um, I always get a thrill whenever I get the email from MSNI saying congratulations you've won and it's always it's always 25 pounds but it's still nice and I wanted to ask you about the idea of making savings accounts feel more like a lottery than 
a savings product? Because I know you've got some interesting thoughts on that. I mean, you could say that, you know, having the interest paid out as prizes makes saving more exciting and incentivizes people to put money away. But are there downsides to that approach? Yeah, I, I do. And I don't want to. I also am a fan of premium bonds, for example. So premium bonds, you, you don't earn an interest rate with premium bonds. You're put into a prize drawer each month and you have an equal chance with everyone else of winning one. But you're more likely to win if you've got more money in there, to be to be to be fair. Um, so uh, while interest rates are very low, uh, where, you know, the interest you could earn elsewhere is very low, there's far lower risk to not ever winning a prize. Because because if you weren't really going to earn that much elsewhere anyway, what what's the risk? And, and yet you could still win. There are two one million pound prizes, for example, each month. I mean, there are billions of people in there, so <laughs> it's very unlikely you're gonna you're gonna ever win. I'm afraid, um, but somebody has to. Two people have to every 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 month. So you know, it could be it you. Could as be you. That's right. Um, but I'm also slightly concerned that that by simply making something a, a savings accounts a lottery, you're taking away from that fundamental need to start building into savings. And um, we've seen some things that are sort of made out to be games, and it's it's about instant gratification. And that's the thing that worries me because instant gratification doesn't make for a good long term financial planning. It's about you know, putting your head down, putting money away each month, earning some interest on it and, and, and taking it from there. So premium bonds is a bit different because you've already built up that lump sum. You pop it in. Generally, you put you put the lump sum in and then you see if you can reap the prizes from it. But some of the um, prize draws now nationwide, I'm, I am going to na- name one provider if that's OK. But nationwide has an interesting uh, mid, mid place because it has a regular savings account, which is paying one of the best rates on the market. But also you have the opportunity of winning a hundred pound prize in, in a couple of prize draws over its two year period. So so it's um, it's an interesting in between. And I like that because it is a savings account. It does mean you do have to save every month in order to qualify for the prize draw. So it is building that that savings um, discipline. And that's what's important. Yeah. yeah. So the prize draw is really just a little bonus, a nice cherry on top. But, you know, it's not fundamental to the product um, because you're right actually saving is all about delaying gratification so if you're starting to offer products that will promise prizes then it sort of undermines the whole purpose of saving it's not what saving's about really it shouldn't replace saving but no. it, it can it has it has its place alongside probably but it shouldn't replace the the basics about putting monies down each month and and just building it up that way yeah because the problem with the problem with a, a, a prize draw uh, where you're if you're not putting money aside each month for example and you're just waiting to win if, if you if you don't win after a while and you're not earning any interest you just could lose interest in you could lose yeah. interest sorry excuse the pun but you could lose yeah. interest in it and just stop <laughs> yeah I think that's I think that's where it comes down to. Whereas if your if your mindset is I'm setting up a savings account so that I can put this money away each side so that I've got a lump sum at the end of it, then that's very different to ooh maybe I'm going to win something by doing this. Although the counter argument is that saving is a habit and you just need to establish that habit and hopefully once you're up and running you start to see the value of doing it for its own sake. That's right. Exactly right. Um, well, we'll have to wait and see whether or not we're going to see a flowering of saving as a result of these new types of accounts. But I think as a result of COVID-19, hopefully we are going to see more people saving um, because over the past year we have seen 
a renaissance in saving really as a result of, of lockdown. Do you think that will continue or, or do you think that once the re- economy reopens, we'll forget all about saving and go out and enjoy ourselves? <laughs> um, I think I think a lot of people are going to go out and enjoy themselves. And, and, and a lot of life will go back to normal at some point whereby you're you're able to travel and spend your money doing that, doing it that way. So hopefully some people have actually started saving and under and then and then they'll recognize the value of having done that because they'll have something um that they can spend at the end of it rather than having to use their credit cards to go on holiday or what have you they've actually saved up for it and perhaps that in its own right is a good thing because they'll recognize let's keep saving and then we don't have to get into this debt cycle um but I do think, you know, there will be more expenses coming back when people have to start commuting back to work, when people are buying their lunches and, and they're going out to the pub. And, you know, those things that we, we all used to do. Um, now you're saving all of that money that, that you're, because we're not going out anywhere. So there, there is those people who can afford to do so uh, and could afford to go out all the time and things like that, then that they have excess money to save. But they won't have they won't always have that. But hopefully they will just keep some of it back in order to to keep on saving and that, that's what I really hope to see. Perhaps we can end then with just one or two tips from you on how someone can maintain that saving habit even as the economy reopens and we get back out there. Well I think going back to something I said earlier um, the if you if you set up a direct debit into a regular savings account of some description then then that can be become something that is the norm so you, you, you do it as an amount that you can afford and then you can add to it from time to time if you, if you can. Some of these sort of auto saving apps are quite fun because whenever you spend, they'll round up and actually that can build up to a, a significant sum over, over a number of years, depending on how much you spend. But so, so when you, if you spend something that say £2.87, they would round that up to £3 and a little bit on the extra would go into your savings account. So, so those are ideas, but they're not, you know, that, that's, those are, those are, that's small amounts. But if you were to say able to afford £50 a month or £100 a month, then put that away, set up a direct debit just when you get paid and put that away. And then you can just keep watching that grow. Because even though the interest you're earning is not going to be enormous, um, the fact that you're putting that money aside each month, will you suddenly start to see it, it building up and becoming a bit more significant. So I would just, you know, put your head down, Try and put something aside while you can. And so as as you as we go back to normal, just just ignore that £50 because that's still going into your savings accounts. Yeah, it's paying your future self. That's how I like to think of it. That is exactly right. That's mm-hmm. a nice way of putting it. Yeah, you can have that. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I'll take it. <laughs> um, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the Own It podcast and sharing all your brilliant expertise and wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been lovely now we had the announcement in the budget recently that green bonds would be introduced by national savings and investments at some point although there wasn't very much detail about these green bonds was there no i think there was speculation that uh, it would be a a recovery bond which is a brand that's now been um adopted by the Labour Party that was going they were going to have a British recovery bond aren't they in theory yeah that's right and it Mm. does appeal to people's sense of 
patriotism mm. and it's got associations with the kinds of bonds that we saw uh, after the war. Sure. Um, and I think it taps into this idea that people want to put their savings to good mm. use after this period because we've seen this huge savings glut as a result of COVID. Although we should stress that that's definitely not the case for everybody. No. But yeah. certainly a lot of people will have been able to save money um, and it makes sense to devise a product that will channel people's desire to be part of the big rebuild. But the question is, will people actually be all that attracted to this particular product? Well, for the reasons you just stated, um, you know, what they're trying to do is channel people's emotive response mm. to the uh, recovery from the pandemic. And they've decided that going green is the way to go because mm. obviously that's another big arm of their agenda zero carbon and all the rest of it um but you know you have to say that that brings with it certain problems according to the industry because although you can in theory go out and spend however much you raise on um sort of green projects um renewable energy and so on mm. um you're not guaranteed to actually be paying the cost of it in other words the interest charge the debt charge um from the same sources apparently right uh, the debt is not doesn't look as though it's going to be ring fenced so when the government has to pay pay for the bonds, pay the holders of the bonds, it could be coming from you know various sources, nothing to do with uh, green. Oh, I see. So that's you know there's, that's one question that's around it. So the treasury could be uh, or NSNI because mm. that's backed by the government. Mm. It's the kind of government-backed savings provider. Mm. They could be kind of putting their hand down the back of the sofa trying to find the money from elsewhere to pay back savers. So it would appear. Um, but I think you're right. I think, you know, in a way, a recovery bomb would have would have had a, a, a wider appeal than sort mm. of flagging up, you know, the green thing yet again. But maybe that's maybe that's not true. Although I wonder just how much of an interest rate a recovery bond would mm. have paid savers compared to a green bond. I don't think we yeah. can expect the green bond interest rate to be spectacular, but I think the recovery bond would have been maybe even lower and, and less well, impressive i don't know i think i think probably it all depends on how much money the government needs to raise where it gets it from i mean if you look back to uh, 2015 which is quite an interesting one mm. they they issued the pensioner bonds in january um, they took one billion pounds in two days yes i uh, remember that. they had to close it by may um, mm. having raised 15 billion um, you know that's as much as they're planning to raise from their own government bond right. not not the bond for consumers 15 billion supposedly mm. there's some doubt about whether that'll happen when it comes to the actual consumer bond um you know it's probably they'll be lucky to raise as much as they are currently raising from the rest of national savings which is about six billion right so that's a huge uh, drop mm. mainly because the rate is almost bound to be uh, nothing like what the pensioner bond was which was twice the market rate at the time mm -hmm. so i think you need to draw a distinction between wanting to help your country and wanting to feel all warm and fuzzy inside and mm -hmm. wanting to contribute to these green projects and wanting to get an actual competitive return on your savings and i think that you know, if you're holding out hope of finding that anywhere in the market at the mm. moment, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Well, for sure. And I mean, <clears throat> NSNI in particular, because I think, you know, I mean, I was holding one of uh, NSNI's accounts a year ago, <clears throat> the direct saver, mm. and it was paying 1.15%, which was great. Yeah. Overnight, it was slashed to 0.01%. I mean, that is like a 100% cut to all intents and purposes. That's painful. <laughs> that does not sort of, you know, do much to... to um, you know, make savers feel confident in the government and what they're going to do for you. 
No, but then again, we have not had confidence in savings for an awfully long time. That's very true. But it didn't always work like this. It used to be the case that NSNI had this, you know, national treasure status almost. Mm. What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong is that um, the government can raise money uh, from other sources more cheaply. They don't need to pay these rates. They have a, they set a certain target for NSNI to raise, and if they slash the target, which is what they did um, last year, then NSNI does not need to raise money. So it does not need to, you know, it, it would be taking in too much money more than it was required if it paid the rates uh, that they're paying a year ago mm. too high. Mm. Um, premium bonds are still the only place in the market, touch wood, that you can get. <laughs> what approximates, you know, might be um, a decent interest rate. Yeah, we say touch wood because I've got yeah. premium bonds. Mm. And I have to say, it's pathetic, but every time I get a little email update saying, congratulations. You've I, won. <laughs> I, do, I do go rushing to find yeah. my, my number to yeah. log on yeah. and see whether or not I've won. And it's always £25. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one day it's always £25, be, you're well, doing well. I know, exactly, but, but one day I hope, it, yes. one day yeah, I hope right. that it might be something bigger. Yeah. But yeah. you're right, I mean, getting £25 alone at the it, moment is It is, is literally the best you can do, because yeah. you're getting an average rate of 1%, and I've got premium bonds too, and I've been getting an average rate of 1%, yeah. which is now twice as much as you can get anywhere else, pretty much. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not an interest rate, so it's a predicted prize. Yeah. And you have that little buzz every month, which is quite fun. So, yeah, I'm all in favour. Mm, and it is easy access. So it's a yes, good home for, so. the, for the money that you need to have so. for right now. There is another way to buy green bonds, of course. I mean, local councils have started issuing them. Two councils have issued community um, municipal investment bonds, CMI bonds, raising about a million pounds. Right. And the beauty of these is that the council's taking all the risk. You get a guaranteed return over five years of just over 1%. Mm. Um, and there's an organisation called Abundance, which provides a sort of marketplace website where you can trade these bonds mm. and other products, lots of other green products like that. So in the private market, there are alternatives now, and I suspect they will grow quite considerably mm. in the years to come. So perhaps that will be a more promising avenue for savers to look at rather than the green bond. It could well be. Let's wait and see what the rates are. That's it for this week's podcast. A huge thanks to Anna Bose for joining us. Do check out Savings Champion when you get the chance. I've previously mentioned that we'll be speaking to the financial journalist David Ricketts about his new book, When the Fund Stops, and I hope to bring you that interview on next week's podcast. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you get it. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be wonderful if you could leave us a five-star rating and a nice review if you're enjoying it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Own It podcast. Podcast.